everyone, I'm Eric. Welcome back to another episode of the SDR Game Podcast. My guest today is Kyle Smith, managing partner at The Bridge Group. So welcome to the show, Kyle. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Before we start, can you uh, introduce yourself and um, let us know what you do at, at The Bridge Group? Of course. Yeah, my name is Kyle Smith, as you said, managing partner for The Bridge Group. Just for a little bit of background in terms of where some of my perspectives will come from, we are a sales consulting organization, work almost exclusively with B2B technology organizations, a lot of SaaS companies, and uh, the sales function within them, or really the revenue generating function within them. So we work with teams like SDR, AE, CSM, or really whoever owns expansion and retention. Uh, and we do strategic assessments to design actual strategy, and then also write a lot of playbooks and do trainings and things like that. Uh, much more tactical. And so my role within the business is to actually execute on those engagements and bring on more customers who have a need for those services. So focus on both sides of the business in my current role. For me, how, how I learned about the bridge group actually was through the the book of Trish uh, also. And uh, and thanks to the um, SDR metrics report, you are um, publishing because for me, as an SDR leader, it helped me also to, to, to use that with my team. So thank you for or the wet work you're doing around this. Yeah, I can't, I can't take too much credit for either one of those things, but um, no, Tr Trish put uh, a lot of time, energy, and effort into the book. So anytime somebody says that they enjoyed reading it, it, it means, uh, makes me happy. Obviously a lot of years of experience going into it, but a ton of writing time too. And then Matt Rizzuzzi on our team is our head of research and operations. He does the uh, annual report. Okay. Both SDRs and AEs. So. Yeah, they're a super helpful benchmarking tool. I see. It's funny when we engage with clients, we'll look at like board presentations or decks, and I'll see little snippets from our reports in there, and that, that makes me happy too. It's, it feels like it's actually worth worth the time investment because people can actually practically apply some of the benchmarks. I want to talk with you about the current market. So obviously, for all those who are going to listen, you are going already reading the headline of this episode, but. Uh, I want to talk with you about what's happening on the market right now uh, from both perspectives, the um, companies who are hiring SDRs, but also from the candidate uh, perspective. So um, can you let us know about what's changing uh, right now on the market? Specifically in the last few months, uh, we've started to see a slight shift where we, we basically had a 18-month-ish run where it was so heavily favored in terms of uh, it being a candidate's market where we had incredible price competition. Um, we saw salaries and, and actual overall packages increase pretty dramatically uh, as the competition for talent got pretty sti stiff. Um, and people were able to be really selective in terms of which organizations they wanted to work with. We saw a lot of job hunting or uh, job hopping rather, and uh, attrition was through the roof, right? A lot of the trouble actually retaining people because you can keep jumping and making more money um, and people are offering uh, more and more. In the last few months, we've seen that slow down quite a bit. Um, a couple of metrics that actually tell us what's happening. Total uh, applicants per job posting is up. Um, so we're actually seeing that the companies are able to be a little bit more selective in terms of who they bring on, which we know when that happens, that typically leads to lower attrition because you, you can actually find the right fit for your role in company rather than just trying to get a body and a seat um, to hit whatever your, your headcount goals are. Um, and we're seeing less attrition, uh, a little at least a little bit less voluntary attrition. I think 
probably a lot of reasons for that that I could guess at, but uh, that's just what we're seeing in terms of the um, the overall impact on the market. And that's working with like like 25 um, tech companies right now. Um, and they're all experiencing similar things. So let's talk about first the candidate perspective. So because before uh, they had more control around this and uh, companies are more selective. So what changed for them? Uh, so how how can they adapt to this new, uh, how do you say that? this new, well, not journey, but uh, the way that companies are looking for candidates right now? I would say in two ways. I'll start with just where you apply, right? The most simple action that you can take. Rather than hunting for like the best possible financial opportunity, if you're talking about plus or minus 10%, which a lot of these job uh, decisions are, are made based on, plus or minus 10% of actual on-target earnings, I would take a little bit, especially if you're early in career, we're, th we're talking SDRs, like early in career uh, individuals mostly, um, and you're talking about making a uh, job decision based on uh, an on-target earnings of plus or minus 10%, pick the job, the company, the technology, the target market, the persona, the location, the management infrastructure, uh, the funding, if that's of interest, like the size, like think about all the attributes of the actual organization you're going to work with before the comp plan. As long as the comp plan is in a reasonable range and, and on par with the market to some extent, uh, if it were me, I wouldn't hunt for the best possible comp plan. Instead, just pick the place that you think is going to allow you to grow and to develop into the seller that you want to be over trying to make five, six, $10,000 this year or the next 12 months more than you would at the other place. Just pick the right spot um, because that's a more likely uh, long-term indicator for success, in my opinion. So, yeah, the environment before the, the complaint. And how can you do right now that you, as a candidate, how can they prevent that, for example, they're going to join a company that maybe they're not doing well right now because right now with the in November was the toughest month in in layoff, for example, uh, in, in the tech industry. So, um, what what can a candidate can do before applying or during the hiring process to uh, prevent that, for example, to prevent that or be aware of that? You can't prevent it, right? Um, especially like so, there's only so much information that you're going to have at your disposal and. Uh, as an SDR, I don't think it's a reasonable expectation for you to uh, comb through every potential company's earnings and s try to predict the future in terms of what they're going to do for headcount decisions. But instead, you can focus on um, things like overall growth, headcount growth. Um, does it seem like they've potentially overhired? Ask the difficult questions in the hiring process. So just like understand what the team has looked like, uh, what they're trying to get to in headcount why they're trying to get to that headcount level. I, I like backdoor reference checks, honestly. Like, so if it were me, I, I, if I'm applying for an SDR role, I might uh, reach out, like go on LinkedIn and find two people who are in an SDR role there. Hopefully that you have some type of second degree connection to maybe, and just reach out to them and see if you can get a, a really candid conversation with them to happen. Just say like, hey, what is it like? Like, how many target accounts do you have? Are people hitting quota? Like, or do we have a team who's overstaffed? We're trying to oversaturate the market to um, a 
achieve really aggressive growth goals and we know that this is going to need to be right sized in the future like those are some things that that might stick out to me like that are a little bit more easily easy to identify rather than the actual company's financial performance like just focus on your team like what's actually happening within the team that you're going to join and do they think that if nobody's hitting quota and territories are really small you know to me that's a that's an indicator that we're probably going to at least slow the growth of that team if not potentially think about shrinking it to expand the territories get more reps at quota more productivity per head so that that's the one area that i would focus on that i think is a little bit easier to identify no, yeah, and you're right on this because yeah, the I think talking with Asia on, on the run, it's it's easier and generally yeah, they are going to give you the info. But when you are going to ask them, they're going to to give you that information. So uh, you mentioned that you have uh, two topics because I asked you the other question. But first thing you told me, uh, focus on the company, uh, the the team, the technology, the the personas instead of uh, the complaint, and then we. When I ask you the question, uh, you, you give me some uh, perspective on what they can look for to to see if the company is in, in good state. And what what was the number two you are going to give me? Yeah, focus on something that's a good fit for you culturally. Like so, I'm I'm going on slightly softer stuff here, but I think it's important, especially within the SDR function. So look for something that's a good cultural fit, and. If you do, then you're going to be more invested in the organization and, and your career development there. And don't rush. Like, take your time um, in the SDR role to actually solidify the skill of prospecting and creating opportunities, which is going to be really helpful in any role that you take after. Um, but focus on taking your time with a company where you have a good cultural fit, you like the product and the market that they sell into, rather than just rushing to be like, how quickly can I become an AE? We did a research report, it's, it's a little bit older now, but we did one, I think it was in uh, 2018 or 2019, in terms of SDR success rate based on time frame to promotion. And for those who were promoted within or under 15 months of tenure within the SDR role, they were out, uh, almost 70% were out of the AE role within two quarters and moved on to another company and maybe they still get an AE role. And then that 15 month mark seemed to be the line um, that had the most statistical significance and likelihood to be successful in, in the AE function. Those who waited even more than 18 months were much more likely to stay within the AE role for longer periods of time after promotion. So I think the one thing is pick the right company based on all those other attributes. Don't chase the money right away. And then the second thing is take your time when you're actually in that role and make sure that you are a highly qualified, um, well-rounded applicant for the AE job don't just rush there because if you want to talk about job stability uh, actually performing once you get there not just getting the title actually performing once you are an AE is pretty important uh, if you go two quarters um, with pretty low quota attainment in a revenue generating role it's going to be tough to move to the next stage and also to go back on what you're saying focusing on the right environment because if you are in the right company to be successful in the role, if you are not chasing the, just the title you want to to perform in your role i think it's also important because if you're just looking to be an AE and then you leave the company just to be an AE, you're not going to be focusing maybe on the right companies to to after and when you're starting the new role uh, maybe so it's not going to help uh, the person in, in the role yeah and maybe yeah if you're yeah. just chasing the the title um 
doing it prematurely, then yeah, I mean, that absolutely can and does happen all the time. Yeah. Um, we see that. We see a lot of uh, sometimes, it's not a great name, but we call them like retreads, but people who leave the company because they thought the grass was greener, jump to that new role, that new company, that AE role is not all that it was cracked up to be. They don't have the same level of support that they said they were going to have in terms yeah. of new training or lead gen or whatever, SEs, it could be anything. And then all of a sudden they realize like, oh, I, I've made a huge mistake. Like I rushed this and maybe it was going to be another quarter or two before I could have had this position and I, I wasn't uh, willing to wait that long. But yeah. then we see them go back to the company that they were with previously and then continue on the path that they were on anyway. So it's it's not like it's the end of the road uh, yeah. or like the, the worst thing. It's like a little detour. Um, but if you can avoid those, um, why not? Like save yourself the frustration and anxiety associated with making that move and just take your time. I mean, there's there's instances where it might get egregious and you just have to realize like, there's nowhere for me to go here. But if we're talking about the first 18 months, you're not there yet. If you start getting two years, two and a half years, depending on your deal size is usually a good indicator for that. It might be uh, time to think about where your next opportunity lies. Yeah, what would you say to Anesia right now who are listening to this and thinking about actually leaving the company because it's not promoting, um, promoted in the next few months and want to move to another company to be an A. How long have they been in the role? I don't know, maybe a, a year, let's say. A year? Yeah. I would say, wait, wait six yeah. months. The market could change a lot in six months. Um, I know that there's a lot of noise uh, about what the economy is going to do in the next year. Um, we see some leading indicators that, that might tell us, um, but we don't really know, right, uh, ultimately. So wait the six months for two reasons. One, see how things shake out and what, how things start to stabilize. Um, and then two, just focus on – the thing is, when you get anxious to make a move, usually it's because you feel like growth is stagnated. Maybe it's your frustration with earnings. Maybe you want to go, whatever, buy that house, and you know that you need to make more money to do it. Maybe there's things in your personal life that dictate, like, I, I need to increase my earnings. I'm starting a family, whatever. I don't, whatever the personal reasons are. I understand those are true, meaningful motivations, and you have to do what you have to do for yourself. But if you have the flexibility to wait and you do feel stagnated, there's things that you can do personally. Consume podcasts. Like, Learn as much outside your organization as possible. Read books, consume podcasts, read blogs, look at research reports. Start to take your own professional development into your own hands. There are so many resources available. If you feel like it's not your company's sole responsibility for your professional development, so take some accountability. Say, okay, what I get to do here is make money and actually practice the, the job function of creating pipelines. But what I can also do in addition to that, if I'm not getting a ton of training externally, is learn as much as possible about, yes, my current role, but also what it might be like in the next role. Maybe I'm going to go watch, I don't know, 15 uh, YouTubes on how to lead a best practice discovery call or something. I don't know. Uh, read a bunch of blog posts about how to execute effective discovery, which is the next logical step in the process. And so you're just learning more and more so that you, when you're ultimately making that move, you are better prepared. Like just hold on if you're at that one year mark for as much as possible um, to see if if you can continue to learn and actually put some of those ideas into practice rather than making a jump before you're ready and uh, really floundering when you get to that next position, which is uh, not as nurturing as an SDR role might be when you get to the AE role. 
on top of that, I think there is two things. So I think, like you said, they can focus on their skills as an SDR a bit better. And that's what I think generally with um, some SDR I worked with, they were they wanted to have their AE promotion and they were thinking that they knew everything as, a, as an SDR. And something I think uh, that's also a point that uh, I have some people with that is, hey, let's think about also the skills you can still uh, improve on instead of thinking that maybe you are uh, an A on every skills uh, you have on SDR. So meanwhile, you are preparing for the next role, you, you can improve because the skills that you are learning as an SDR, they are going to help you as an A. Because like you mentioned earlier, if one day as an A, you don't have enough support to generate pipeline where you are going to need to prospect again and the, the skills you are building right now they're going to uh, help you in your next one so that was for the pipeline creation skills and now like you mentioned the the skills as an AE I think yeah that that's key here because uh, I think there is a lot of content that can help prep them for the next one or so and obviously it will be easier for them for their trans transition yeah, if you if you can prospect to self gen, like if you actually get really good as a especially outbound SDR, we'll focus on them. If you're an excellent outbound SDR, when you get to an AE role, you can just manufacture money. Like sure, you might be supported by sales development, you might get some high value inbound from marketing, you might have some field marketing events that source you some some quality deals, you might get some referrals, some partner network, whatever. But if all of those added up only gets you to 90% of your quota and the model's just a little bit off in terms of how the company structured it to, to get you to your goal, you can go out and then just go get the last 10%. Or maybe it gets you to 100 and you wanna be deep into your accelerators and really increase your earnings go prospect and self-gen the other 20% of the revenue, like that prospecting muscle can be utilized to make you a really high performing rep at any point in your career, without a doubt. The other thing is too, if you're, if you're trying to look at like, how far away am I from being ready? I should have said this to begin with. First and foremost, make sure that you are performing really well in the role that you're in now. Like if you already have an eye to the future in the next role and you're not already at performing at a very high level in your current role, we're, we're looking at things all wrong. Like you have to be really good at what you're doing now for anyone to say, well, the success you're having in this role tells me that you might be able to be successful in the next. It's not based on time. It's not just like, well, I'm up next. I've been here for this long, right? Like you need to be performing at a high level. And if you're doing that, then also you typically, you're gonna create some more flexibility in terms of what you can do with your working hours. So if I'm already at 110% a goal, maybe somebody will let me go shadow two or three discovery calls with an AE. Maybe I can, if you have Gong or something like that, maybe I can just go watch a demo from somebody and, and look at like, and start to actually view what are some of the, how are some of the later buyer interactions executed? And wh what do I not know now that I might need to? And it can be humbling, which can be helpful. Like also, I don't wanna sound too preachy. Like I was this person. I was an SDR. I thought I was ready to be promoted to an AE after like seven months, right? And it, it can be a humbling experience. Thankfully, I had a manager who wouldn't allow me to um, and who kept on um, challenging me to be better and better than I was at. But without that individual like holding me in seat, um, I would have been promoted to the AE and just failed miserably. Like I was the high performer, but I did not have the skills necessary to be an AE after that much time. Like you, 
have to take your time. So like, I, I, I was that person. I get it. I understand the drive to like keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. What's next? Um, but with the benefit of hindsight, you can say it's, <laughs> it's helpful to take your time and solidify the skill. Earlier, you are giving us um, advice on what a candidate should do. Um, what advice sh should a, a candidate, unless they are candidate right now, what advice should they ignore? Sorry, can you say that again? I'm sorry. Uh, so um, earlier we were talking about, you, you give us some advice or uh, focus on uh, the company, the, the, the right alignment instead of uh, changing money. Focus um, on your current role and performance. And uh, now uh, let's talk about one advice uh, that they should ignore during their job research. I'm not sure. You're not sure? Yeah. That's good. What do you think? <laughs> job hopping. Uh, so what you, you were saying earlier. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah, we already talked about this uh, on top of it. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Just to follow up on this, it's I think it's be patient with your current role instead of just waiting to get your your next promotion. Because uh, if you are in the right company and the company is still growing and like you are saying, you the average attainment of the team is is really high. We you don't have any issues with territory, so I think you are in the right environment. So you should stay at this company. Yeah, and do you like who you're selling to? That's the other thing. Is like I'll I'll use like um, security as an example. Like the product could be incredible, the company could be really healthy, but if you just don't feel like you like having conversations with CISOs or IT security professionals all day, if the way that they think and the way that they work through problems and that just that conversation in general. Um, is not of interest to you or won't be long-term, like an amazing space and, and really uh, an excellent opportunity for a lot of people. But if you find that that's just not right to you and you would rather sell to marketing, HR, finance, like somebody maybe not even in IT or IT, but you want to sell to the developer side versus just IT security, like do you like having those conversations with that profile of individual every day would be another thing that you want to take into consideration. That's not necessarily a reason why I would hop like this early in career, but it's something that you should be thinking about is that like there's a lot <laughs> of technology companies who sell to uh, every buyer persona imaginable and every profile of organization. So thinking about that a little bit can be helpful. I don't know if it's gonna lead to any, um, it could lead to the selection process of which company you go to, but without the benefit of knowing what it's like to sell to those individuals, you can really only make that, you can really only make that determination with experience. You can't decide ahead of time whether or not you're gonna like to sell the one profile versus another. And what's, uh, I never sold to CISO, so what's the difference, for example, with uh, other buyer persons? The way that they analyze information or how they make the decision, uh, the way that they respond to actual outreach attempts. Like if you sell to a CISO, um, your connect rate and email response rate might be significantly lower. Um, when you get on the call, um, you might instantly get met with, uh, well, we don't provide any of that information without an NDA in place. We're not going to tell you anything that we're currently using. Could be stuff like that versus if you sell to 
HR, marketing, or sales, individuals who pick up the phone with much more frequency. Um, they might not have the same budget for what it is that you're offering, like like a security department or IT in general. Um, so there, there's different complications depending on who you're calling. So one might be tough because you might have like a 2% connect rate versus like one might be a five and a half, six percent connect rate, but they're tougher to convert because they're just like, yeah, that sounds great. We would love to have something like that, but it's never going to happen. We'll never get approval for that. So it's not worth scheduling the meeting. So it's like picking w which one of those you'd be happier with. Do you want people who are like tough on you on the phone who like press you? Um, I don't mind that. Like I like those challenging conversations um, and I like reality faster. Like let's just get to the the answer, like, well, well, what are we gonna do here? Um, versus potentially somebody who's gonna allow you to do your whole pitch, talk through everything in detail, get you 11 minutes into a conversation just to find out like there's no way that this is ever gonna work or be a fit or, or uh, move forward. So that's personal preference. Like there, there's not a right or a wrong answer for that. Yeah. That's, that's just what do you, what do you enjoy Prefer, doing? Yeah. And what, what types of conversations do you wanna have? No, but it's good to know because that's something you, you want to know before getting in this room. So now that we, we've talked about the candidate perspective, let's talk about the, um, the company perspective. So yeah, you said that they are they're more in control, they can be more selective. Um, can you give us more details on, around how companies are currently adapting to that? So you said they have less attrition. Yeah, slightly less voluntary attrition. So less people um, quitting or resigning at least in the past few months. We'll see if that continues. And then what that allows them to do is if they do have open positions, then, and they get more applicants per, per um, job posting, then instead of just finding like the best of what they have, they can truly find the best for the role. Like if you only get four applicants and you really need to fill that seat, and especially if a hiring manager has a quota that is um, not based on headcount, based on like your goal is your goal and it's your job to make sure that you have a team you might sit there and make a decision like okay of these four people i don't think any of them are great or like a perfect fit but i'm just going to pick the best one of the four and just extend them the offer right now rather than waiting because i know even if they operate at 70 percent of goal that's better for me than it taking two more months or you might make this decision than it taking two more months for me to find the right person truly right person because that's two months of an empty seat of nobody producing anything so uh, i personally don't love that i realize there's a lot of pressure um surrounding that so that's not an easy decision to make but what you can do or what what um, companies have been able to do a little bit more so in the last few months is actually find the best possible person because instead of it being four applicants it might be 18 19 that, that were in the high teens if you're a high profile company it's always a little bit higher um, but for some of the lesser known ones, you're still, you can get, you know, high teens applicants. And out of that group, you can actually find the right person typically. Um, so you're finding somebody who aligns with you culturally, has the experience or background that you're looking for, um, has the actual desire to work for your company, not just somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'm just firing off applications everywhere. And let's see who's going to make me the most appealing offer rather than somebody saying like, no, I really want to work for your company for these three reasons, um, which puts you just in a better position where you don't feel like you're constantly needing to 
sell your role and not able to actually do proper evaluations of the candidates, which it felt like for a little while there. And so do you think companies are, are taking more time to evaluate those candidates? Uh, they're trying to hire faster? Or, uh... I, I think speed to hire is, uh, has always been a point of emphasis. They, they, they're still in, uh, we, we talk about like, run the hiring process like you would a sales process. <laughs> and it should be done quickly, right? Like time kills all deals. Same could be said for the actual hiring process. So I don't think that there's more time taken. I think it, it just needs to potentially be higher volume and people need to be maybe a little bit better about uh, actual process adherence. If you have more applicants, right? Like let's get through the screening process faster. Let's make sure that we have people lined up to actually go through the formal interviews with hiring managers, call shadows, role plays, just like making sure that I don't think it should be elongated at all. I would never advocate for elongating on any of that process because while maybe you have a little bit more control, there's still other companies who are actively hiring. And if it takes you a month to get somebody an offer, they've already accepted a job somewhere else. So um, you still need to get from application to offer inside of 10 days if possible. Um, business, business days? Or? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. two weeks. Basically. Two weeks? But yeah. it better if you can do it faster. But that depends. Like, is there going to be an on-site component? Is it just a remote? Remote role, remote role, way faster and easier because um, you're not trying to facilitate in-office time and coordinating that around multiple people's schedules and everything. So, um, yeah, it, it should still happen very quickly regardless of the applicant pool. And you, that's where you lean on. If you're in, uh, in a fortunate enough position to have a talent acquisition team, you lean on them to get you to your shortlist faster and at least prioritize applicants um, who are most likely to be a great fit for your role. What advice um, would you give to an SDR leader who tried to improve his hiring process right now? I struggle with this one because uh, I have a little bit of recency bias, but a lot of the companies that I work with are, are on the larger side, me personally, the ones I have intimate knowledge of are on the larger side. And when you work for the larger companies, there's way more constraints on in terms of what the process looks like and how talent is to be evaluated, which is good. Like there's uh, so many positives that have come from that process. But for you, just making sure that you have, there's little things, I'll say two things that I, that I would try to force into the process wherever possible. Have them shadow somebody on my team so that I can get two things. One, understand from the rep that I have them shadowing, what questions do they ask? How curious are they about our process? Um, how attentive are they to the you making calls? Like, do they really dig into details of like, how you're using your sales engagement platform or the CRM or why you're calling that contact versus the second one down on the list, why you said the thing you said versus something else. Like what questions do they ask in that, in that actual shadowing process or do they just, you know, sit there and, and just go through the motions also gives you an idea to typically lower their guard a little bit more when they're with a rep. So let's do a double check on that culture fit. Like do this, does this seem like somebody that, the rep you have them shadowing would want to work with. Do you feel like they'd be a positive contribution to the team? We talk about like not cultural fit, but um, I know you guys have analogies, but less about cultural fit because we don't want cookie cutter. We want cultural contribution. Will they bring something positive to the team or will they be a detractor and, and drive down morale and maybe be a little bit toxic? So focusing on those things with a shadow session can be really eye-opening. Uh, I found those to be hugely helpful. And then doing a role play. I, like, I want to see you do it. Like, it's tough, especially for the SDR role. We can do personality profile assessments. Um, we can understand prior potentially relevant work experience. But I want to hear and see you do it. 
So I want to see you actually put some words down on paper. Can you write an effective email? Or um, if you have no training whatsoever, at least are you heading in the right direction? Did you try um, to, to uh, leave some type of prospecting email that, that could elicit a response? Like, what, what are some of the skills that I'm working with? And if it's horrible, I can provide feedback, have them take a second try, and I can get an early preview of coachability. Like, do they respond to feedback well? And can they adjust as a result? Like that, if I have somebody who can put forth effort and, and they're coachable, like those are basically the raw skills necessary to be a successful SDR. So that process allows you to do it. And then you do a cold call. Like if you're doing in-person interviews, some people can interview really well in person. Like they just can, um, they just carry themselves really well in in-person interviews. That doesn't necessarily directly tie to what it's going to be like making a cold call where you don't have any of the same advantages. You can't use um, facial expressions. You can't use body language. You can't engage with people in the same way when you're just making cold calls all day, right? So have them make a cold call to either you or somebody who plays prospect. What? Is, how do they do in that setting? Make sure that you're doing some double checks to uh, identify whether or not they'd be successful in the role um, and be a, a positive contribution for your team. So, so shadowing a current rep and running them through role play scenarios um, are the two big ones that I would want as part of my hiring process if I was a hiring manager who had flexibility over what, what the rep does. Um, what else do you do to assess coachability? Uh, do you have uh, something else on top of the demo call, for the, the role play uh, with cold calls or um, writing an email? I like, I'm, I'm a fan of some of the um, actual personality profile assessments. We've used a bunch of, not we, um, our clients have used a bunch of different ones. Um, so there's not like one um, or only one that I think, um, but some of those do a pretty good job of assessing some of that. I don't have a much better way uh, outside of those. So if you have the opportunity to use personality profile assessments, some of those can be pretty good. Outside of that, um, no, I mean, I'll, I want to see it firsthand, like with the role play that I talked about. Yeah, so for me, stuff that I found useful with role plays is when you give the feedback, uh, there is three things I'm checking. So how they react to the feedback. Uh, are they defensive? And here that's a red flag generally uh, about this. And I have been, had in interviews, yeah, people being, being defensive about the feedback I was giving them. Then do they take notes about the, the feedback I gave him? And then the last one is, uh, are they asking questions also about the feedback? And uh, obviously, like you were mentioning during the uh, when they are shadowing a rep, are they asking questions here that the same, are they asking questions about the, the feedback uh, I gave them? So I think that's super uh, useful also. Yeah, the other thing is uh, Trish Bertuzzi, our, our um, founder, <laughs> she called it the two question interview. And it was, what do you know about me? And what do you know about my company? And that's how she would start a lot of interviews. And it's so simple, but it tells you so much, right? Because um, talking about like running the hiring process, like a sales process, like that is a perfect example of what the job is like. You do pre-call planning. You research the, your target account. You um, cater your messaging based on the individual specifically that you're speaking with, right? So knowing that they had just gone through the simple process of like understanding at a basic level, what does our company do? What, what's the actual products or services that we sell? 
like, do you know anything about the team? Or like, have you read any press releases? Did you go on my LinkedIn profile? Do you know anything about my background? Like some of the basic things that I would always expect that somebody would do in the prospecting process. Let's see if they did it in the interview process. Did you do your homework before you showed up to this meeting to make sure that you could, um, you know, make the best of you, best use of both of our time? Um, so I think that's an, another great one. Like, what what do you know about my company or, or me personally? And so, do you uh, stop the interviewer if they can't uh, answer one of, one, of, one of those two questions? I wouldn't. I think she used to, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, um, I think what. Uh, uh, um, I feel bad for paraphrasing, but I believe what she said is she, it not stop the interview, like stop the interview process. Okay. But say, okay, well, go ahead and, and oh, do some okay, preparation. Okay. Yeah. And then when you're ready, come back and we can continue this conversation. Hmm. Okay. No, I like that because that's the job uh, of an idea. So, and uh, generally, I, uh, at what stage do you, can you use uh, those two questions during the first interview with the hiring manager or with the um, recruiter, for example? Both. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about it more from a hiring manager perspective because I've never been a recruiter or in talent acquisition. I think the, ta the talent acquisition or the screening phase gives a lot of the answers to the test, if you will, uh, because they share so much information about the team and the company, right? Like that they're trying to sell the role to. So they might have a lot of that information just given to them um, by the recruiter, but I think you can do it in both scenarios. And also it'd be interesting, this is a little bit more labor intensive, but understand, did the knowledge get deeper as they got further into the process? Like, did they build on their learnings or do they still only know really high level information or are they continuing to expand on what they've already learned? Um, there's just so much publicly available information about just about everyone, at least in our space, I'll, I'll just keep it specific to tech. There's so much publicly available information. Um, it, you can learn a lot leading into a, a conversation like an interview. What uh, bad recommendations you hear in hiring SDRs from the company perspective? Go hire someone who looks like blank. Pick the top performer and try to find somebody who matches that exact profile. People don't really do that anymore, so it's not a great one. Um, that, that's kind of been moved out, but that used to happen a lot more. It's like, go find somebody who looks like our, our top performer, or our top two performing reps, like in terms of personality profile, um, background, whether it's athletic, academic, or professional. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that. Um, I've worked with so many reps of so many different profiles and some of them at the same company who do the job in dramatically different ways and who are still hugely successful. So switching from the academic profile to more trade perspective, are you saying? No, um, just, no, just focusing on, because especially specific to the SDR role, professional experience is nice um, if they know some basics, but what do you get from that? you know that um, they're making a conscious decision to stay in this role, which is really difficult. They are uh, maybe a familiar with generally CRM utilization or sales engagement platform. Maybe you got over like a, a couple of like the early stage hurdles, but you still need to find a person who's coachable, who's motivated, and who actually is going to work well within your team, 
right? Like, and those things you evaluate regardless of past experience. Like that's just about the individual um, mostly. I don't know how you, maybe it's just me, <laughs> um, but I don't know how to make somebody put forth more effort. Um, if they're not somebody who, who's going to, um, you know, hustle or, or, or work harder or, or attempt to achieve um, their desired outcomes. Yeah, a comp plan, sure. But I, I mean, even beyond that, right? Like bigger than that. Um, and then coachability is, is really duff, tough. Like, <laughs> how do you make someone coachable? Um, you can try, but the, that that's a tough road. Um, so I think focusing on those innate characteristics at the SDR level, again, if it were a different role, I would focus way more on professional experience um, because you just have, that's your better knowledge base. But in those early roles, I would care less about professional experience. Um, more about who are you as an individual. We are at, at the end of the interview, Kyle. So it was a super interesting conversation. Thank you for taking your time today. Uh, but I don't want to end it um, soon like this. So is there anything that you would like to share? Is there any type of closing comments, request for the audience? Anything you would like to point people to? Uh, if you're a hiring manager uh, and if you're advocating for like your team or trying to understand where your team stacks up against um, other like groups, like check out our research reports. SDR research uh, metrics and compensation report comes out every other year. We'll have one out in Q1 of next year, um, the latest installment. So anytime you're trying to see like where does my team stack up, it's a great um, way to see like how is your team performing against a lot of others in your industry. So I would lean on that. Um, outside of that, I would say consume as much content as possible on both the hiring manager and the applicant front. Um, do not be solely reliant on your company to feed you every bit of information to make yourself uh, a better either sales leader or SDR. Thank you, Kyle. Um, it was nice to see you. And thanks, everyone, for, for listening. <laughs>